Good morning. The reading is found on page 1082 of the Red Church Bibles. It comes from, we've got two readings today, and the first is on page 1082. It's John chapter 14 from verses 15 to 21, and I'll follow it up with Hebrews chapter 4 from verses 14 to 16. It's Jesus speaking. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And from Hebrews, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, you might have heard this uh, fable before. There's a baby fish and it asks its mother, what is this thing called water? And the mother replies, well, water is all around you. It's hard to see the water, it's hard to smell the water, it's hard to taste the water, but the water is in you and it gives you life. And then a young deer says to its mother, what is this thing called air? And the mother says, well, it's hard to see the air, it's hard to taste the air, it's hard to smell the air, but air is all around you and it's within you and it gives you life. And a young child says to its mother, what is this thing called God? And the mother says, it's hard to see God, but God is within you. And God gives you life. This, this fable, it, it's a reminder to us that there are things that are all around us that are essential to life, but we take them for granted or we become so used to them that we, we lose our sensitivity to them. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It's just that we become so familiar with them that we lose our awareness 
of the thing that is all around us. So if, if you were to go outside at the moment, you can, you can see the effects of the sunlight, but if someone was interested in hearing the sunlight, they wouldn't be able to hear the sunlight, but it doesn't make it any less in existence. As you're sitting there today and you're breathing, you are not attuned to whether there's oxygen in the air. Your body is just assuming that there's oxygen in the air. If there wasn't, you would quickly know about it, but you're not cognitively aware of the oxygen that's in the air. And the presence of God is around us all of the time. But it's whether we're attuned to the presence of God around us or not. And I want to speak to us this morning and and next week about why the presence of God might be something that is our vision, our mission, our, our core identity. The presence of God is not just a mission statement or a vision statement that we have as a, as a church. It's something that comes from the Scriptures. It comes to us to remind us to attune our hearts and minds into God. And the presence of God is, is pivotal to who we are as Christians. And as I'll show today, it's the ultimate blessing for how we live our life in this life. And next week, I want to talk about how the presence of God is a foretaste of eternity. And so, the presence of God, which makes a, a, a transforming uh, uh, aspect of our life in this life, is only a foretaste of what's to come when we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, in the very presence of God. And so over these two weeks, I'm going to speak about how the presence of God shapes this life and the next. And so the presence of God is the phrase that we have. Our, our vision is to be a people living in the presence of God. And we want more people to know that and to come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus who is our tangible sense of the presence of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit. And so this phrase, it, it's not just a, a, a catchy phrase that we've plucked out of the air, it comes from the Scriptures itself. But today I want to unpack a few other phrases that we hear in the Scriptures that effectively mean the same thing. So that as we start to become aware of living in the presence of God as a people at St. Columns. When we read the Scriptures week in, week out, we hear all the other phrases that effectively mean the same thing. They remind us that the ultimate way of living is to live in the presence of God. That's the ultimate. All the other stuff I'll show today is, is good, but that's secondary to actually having a relationship with God. So, where does it, where, the, the, there is, you could actually look up in the English translation, the presence of God. We read that in Exodus 33. I think we've got a slide, Vicky. Um, Exodus 33, and, and in, in, in the book of Exodus there, um, Moses is talking to God, and Moses uh, is moving the people towards the promised land. But God goes with them in, in a pillar of 
uh, fire or a cloud. And that represents his presence. And as they're moving, uh, Moses doesn't ever want to take them where the presence of God isn't. And so there's this line in Exodus 33 where Moses says to God, do not send us up from here unless your presence goes with us. And later on in that chapter, the Lord promises Moses that he will do what Moses has asked. And as David reminded us last week, Moses kind of is very determined at sort of asking God and God responds. And then that continues on into the book of Joshua and we studied the book of Joshua last year um, but in the book of Joshua, Joshua says to uh, God, you know, would you be with us? And, and God says that he will be with Joshua and the people in the same way that he was with Moses and the people. His very presence will go before them. And the Ark of the Covenant crosses over the River Jordan before the people and they're to keep their distance because it's symbolic of the fact that the overwhelming presence of God is with them. But there are actually other terms in the Bible that effectively mean the same thing. And that's the beauty of, of the Bible, is it kind of restates and, and, and reshapes so that whatever image means something to us, we can hear it in different ways, but effectively means the same thing. And so there's another term in the Bible, which is to dwell in the house of the Lord to dwell in the house of the Lord. And, and if you remember our Summer Psalm series, um, I did an interview with Vicky and I asked Vicky what was one of his uh, favourite psalms or what was a psalm that meant something to him and we spoke about Psalm 27. And in verse 4 of Psalm 27, uh, the psalmist says, the one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. This idea of in the Psalms, it's the sense that I will dwell in God's house. And in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord was a phrase that referred to, yes, it referred to the tabernacle, which was a, as they were, as Moses was taking them out of Egypt into, uh, before they got into the promised land, they built this tent uh, where they would actually have the presence of God while they were in camp. And in, in Exodus 33, we also hear that this is where Moses would meet with God. And so to dwell in the house of the Lord was to dwell close to the tabernacle. Later on, uh, when, the, when the Israelites get into Jerusalem and Solomon builds the temple, it's believed that God dwelt in the temple. So to dwell in the house of the Lord was to be in the courts of the temple. And that's why when they were sent off in exile, they were far away from the temple, therefore they were far away from the presence of God. So it wasn't just that they weren't in their homeland, it was actually that they were far from the presence of God because they were far from the house of the Lord. So in the Old Testament, if we hear this phrase, dwelling in the house of the Lord or, or in the temple courts or in some kind of building... This is a, a, another way of phrasing the fact that they were living in the presence of God. And to be close to the house of the Lord, even symbolically in some of the Psalms, it's symbolic of being in the presence of God. 
Also in Exodus 33, that same passage that we've been referring to, uh, there's another phrase that we read which effectively means the same thing, which is to seek the face of the Lord. So if you seek the face of the Lord, it's something that is close enough where you can see God. At the tent of meeting in Exodus 33, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. You would have to be close enough to the presence of God to be able to see God's face. Now, we also know that in the Old Testament uh, era, the actual to see God Himself was almost considered so powerful that you would die from seeing it. But it's this imagery in the Old Testament that's used for the presence of God. Now, if you're walking down Glen Ferry and you see somebody from behind and they look familiar, you're not going to yell out to them and say, hey, David, or, or hi, Ali. You're not going to say that if you've just seen them from behind. You're going to check out their face, aren't you? You're going to hope that they turn around and you'll see their face. And I don't know whether this has happened to you before, but I'm about to say hello to someone and they turn around and it's actually not the person that I thought it was. But I only knew that when I saw their face. And so in the, in the Scriptures, this idea of seeing God face to face, it's to see God's true identity, to be close enough to God that you could see God's true identity. Now, we don't actually have to see the face of the Lord to understand God's true identity. We can know God's true identity just by reading the Scriptures. We're not seeing His face. But in the Bible, this idea of seeing God face to face is a, is a term that helps us to understand that we are in relationship with God so closely that we understand God's true identity, that we would be in the presence of God so close that we could see God face to face. And perhaps a phrase that we might be more commonly aware of, particularly if we spend a lot of time in the New Testament, is this idea from our John reading, I will be with you always, this sense of I will be with you, or if we heard in the, in the John reading that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will be with you. In John 14 verse 17, it says, the Spirit of truth, you will know Him because He lives with you and He lives in you. And in Matthew, in the Great Commission, He says, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. It's another phrase to say that the presence of God will be with His people. Jesus is, is saying to his disciples before he goes and ascends up to heaven, which is portrayed in our stained glass behind me, his physical presence will leave them. But remember, his physical presence was one person in the physical flesh that could only be in one place at one time. And he knows that that's limiting because he's about to send the disciples all over to spread the good news. And so the presence of God would be limited if it had to be in the physical form of Jesus. So the presence of God goes with them in the Holy Spirit, which can go with every disciple into every location. And Jesus says, this is going to be even better. But I think it's important for us to remember that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Sometimes we speak of the Holy Spirit as this kind of force or this uh, sort of, we sometimes even say, you hear Christians say, the Spirit of Jesus. Well, it kind of implies that it's 
It's, it's a lesser form of having Jesus himself. But the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's not a force, it's not a ghost, it's not some kind of some subconscious awareness of something. It's the third person of the Trinity. And so if we have the Holy Spirit, then we have the true presence of God because where the Spirit is, the Spirit testifies to Jesus and Jesus points us to the Father. So when we have the Holy Spirit living in us, with us, then we have the Trinity with us. Our other phrase that we get from our Hebrews reading is to approach the throne or to approach the altar, this idea that the throne or the altar or, or approach the heavenly realms, that's a sense of that's where God is and we have the freedom to go into the very dwelling place of God, to be in God's presence. In the Old Testament times, particularly with the tabernacle and then in the temple, there was only certain people who could go into the closest parts where it was believed that God dwelt. But when the curtain is torn on the day of crucifixion, it's symbolic that all of us can go into the very presence of God. There is no barrier. And, and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 reminds us, it says, let us approach the, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our very time of need. We are now able through the death of Jesus and the resurrection to come into the very presence of God with confidence, not trembling, not wondering, are we going to be smited, but with confidence we can enter into the presence of God. Not just to wait for Him to come to us, because He's already done that through Jesus. We now can have confidence to enter into the presence of God with boldness. So returning to our opening fable... We have to have confidence of the water that's like around the fish or, or the air that's around the deer. And we have to have the confidence of the mother to know what the presence of God is. We live in a world where people don't know the presence of God. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. You see, there are people who live unaware that God is seeking a relationship with them. They, they live unaware that God is all around them, God is in them, God gives them life. They're unaware of the fact that God has made the step to, to be in relationship with us by sending His Son, Jesus, and sending the Holy Spirit. They live unaware of that. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist just because people are unaware of it. There are people in our world who acknowledge somehow that there might be a spiritual force but if there is a spiritual force, it's very distant and it doesn't want to have anything to do with me. And there's people who kind of say, well, if God wanted to be more active in the world, we would see Him and experience Him and, and be able to interact and talk and hear from Him. It's as though the only thing that matters is the physical. And so there are people who go a step further and say, well, because there's no physical way that I can see God, because there's no physical way that I can hear God... Therefore, God doesn't exist, as though the only thing that is a reality is that which we can feel or taste or, or, or see or hear. 
you know, it's only a very, very recent phenomenon in human history that, that we've had a people group that deny the spiritual altogether. It's probably only in the last 50 years of all of human history that people have denied the existence of the spiritual realms. And so, for those of us who are Christian, we have to help people know that the presence of God is available to them. And when somebody who's not a Christian starts to think about the presence of God, starts to think about a relationship with God, and they become a believer in Jesus, it's like they experience God in a new way. It's like they experience the God who is all around them for the very first time. It's, it's like they become aware of something that they didn't know existed but has always existed. It becomes a new way of living for them as they become a disciple of Jesus. And to give you some biblical language for what that is, it's like they come into living in the kingdom of God another phrase that really means living in the presence of God. They become a citizen of the kingdom of God and no longer a citizen of the world. That would be more Paul's biblical language for the presence of God, is that you shift from being a citizen of the world into a citizen of the kingdom of God. They all kind of effectively mean the same thing, they're just different images that help us understand the presence of God. And so when people come into the kingdom of God and they start to live by the kingdom of God, they want to live by the ways of the kingdom, they start to see the world around them in new ways, they start to see their life in new ways, they start to see the people in their life in new ways. So what about us who have been Christians for a long time? How do we see the presence of God? Because I know Christians, and and I've been there myself, where I've become numb to the presence of God. We potentially could be this ourselves, but we all know Christians where being a Christian is about gathering information about this God that we say we're in relationship with. It's, It's as though being a Christian is more about the information that we have about God than a relationship with God. And, and I've definitely fallen into this and there, that, this is the biggest trap for ministers and maybe you've fallen into this trap and maybe you know people have fallen into this trap. Where we get so busy doing the things for God that we forget to have a relationship with the God that we're supposedly serving. Information about God is good. Serving God and doing things for God is good. But they pale, they're a poor reality to the very presence of God, having a relationship with God Himself. You could gather all this information about God and do all these things for God, but not actually have a relationship with God. And so some Christians also become so focused on implementing the rules of the kingdom of God that they forget to have a relationship with the king himself. And we don't have to go too far to see Christians in our world who are promoting the rules of the kingdom without promoting the king himself. And they're saying that, oh, you're not in the kingdom 
because you don't follow the rules that we are setting about the King. For others, prayer is not about experiencing the presence of God, but prayer becomes a way of asking God to fix things in our life. It's what we can get from God rather than having a relationship with God. And this is why I find Lent to be such a wonderful season, because it helps us to get back to spiritual habits that help us have a relationship with God, rather than just seeing God as some kind of vending machine where we look at what God can give us and we sort of punch in that code and we get that thing that God can give us. So I want to be clear that when we read the Bible, these phrases kind of point us to the same thing, to seek the face of God, to dwell in the house of the Lord, being with God, knowing and being known by God, having the presence of God. They're all similar phrases that are the ultimate blessing, that we get to have a relationship with God Himself. Seeking God face to face, knowing Him and being in His presence should shape everything that we do in life. That's the ultimate blessing. And the question is, why wouldn't we want more of God's presence? Why wouldn't we want to spend more time with God? Why would we settle for mere Christianity? I'm not quoting C.S. Lewis there, I'm going to quote him in a second, but why would we settle for a, a, a really low version of Christianity where it's all about being some Christian club where we, where we go to a venue on a Sunday. The goal of being a Christian is to have a relationship with the King of the Kingdom. And so here's C.S. Lewis's take on it. I think we've got a slide for this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think C.S. Lewis was right back then, I think he's right now. We're far too easily pleased with thinking, oh, we're better than everyone else because we're Christians but we should be seeking the very presence of God. It should shape everything about what we do. I had a taste of it when we went to uh, England last year in May and I went to a church service and uh, it, was, it was like the, 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 the worship was going through the motions. And, and we were really there at a church to hear about how they're doing ministry. And as we went through the motions, I just felt the presence of God, but I thought, oh, well, we're about to go on to a talk about how this church works. So I, I, I sort of felt the presence of God, but I didn't do anything about it. And then the, the, the vicar who was about to give us a talk actually got all the worship team off the stage in order that we could then continue a time of worship but it wasn't about the band that was on stage and one by one everybody in the room felt the presence of God. It's probably one of the 
four or five times in my life that I've felt the presence of God so tangibly like that. And I've been chasing it ever since. I've had a taste for it. I won't go back. I don't want to go back. Once you have a taste of the presence of God, once you, you have a relationship with God so close and so intimate that you see Him face to face, the stuff that God can give you, the stuff that goes with being a Christian is, is not satisfying enough as the presence of God itself. The presence of God is not just a tagline that we put up here at church. And, and there, look, there are other churches that have got other taglines and they're great taglines. I'm not saying ours is any better than theirs. But we put before you and we put before all those who encounter St. Columns that we want people to be living in the presence of God because it's the ultimate blessing. It's the ultimate way that we can live our life. The presence of God here at church is is more than a vision statement. It's more than something that's most supposed to inspire us. It's actually meant to be our goal. It's meant to be what we do with our life. We put this statement before everybody to remind us that it's the ultimate blessing. And as John would also say, the, the ultimate goal in life is to live life to the full to live it in the presence of God.